Today on Indie Thinker, we're throwing back to the 90s and looking at the old cutting phenomenon and how it has mutated into the present day supposed gender affirming care that we're hearing so much about. We'll look at those who are willing to take a stand against these kind of things like Joe Rogan, and then we'll look at people like Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear, who would rather just curl up in a corner and wet himself. And then finally, we'll look at the cause behind all of the madness that's taking place in our society today. I know a lot to go, but you'll enjoy it, trust me. All that and more on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for watching. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And even if you want to throw a comment down below, or if you want to write a review, whether on Spotify or Apple, much, much appreciated. Uh, we got a lot to jump into today, but I want to share a, a story that happened to me today. So I was going out to the park, uh, and like I typically do in the mornings, I go out there to pray and do to read and often to eat breakfast in peace in my car away from children. They're actually at school. So anyway, um, don't think me a bad parent because I do what all other men do and hide from their kids in their car. Uh, but I was out there again this morning and I just so happened to see that there was a young couple in the car beside me and that they were laying down in their car and they were covered in blankets, which I took to mean that they had slept there the night before. So I quickly went over to Burger King, grabbed some food and then came back to them. Um, had to side skirt around the front door because directly in front of the, well, I should say the driver's side door, uh, there was a pile of vomit. So I went to the other side, knocked on the door, and I woke a guy from his sleep and showed him the bag. He rolled down his window, took the food, and I just said these words to him. I said, hey, listen, I don't want to be too presumptuous and don't know what situation you guys are in, uh, but just wanted to help give you this food and just say that uh, if you're, if you're, a Christian, and you know what I'm saying, cool. If not, you can look to Christ. There is hope in him, and he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. So shared those words of wisdom with him, but it, it left me with this, this understanding that, boy, as much as even I'm trying to do on my show, or there are others kind of in similar spaces trying to do stuff, there, there are needs out there that are bigger than what can be met just by information and becoming informed and getting aware of things that maybe you weren't before, that there are, there are issues of the soul that need to be reached right now in America. And this has always been the case, but I'll tell why I think we're living in a little bit of a distinct time, as easy as it is to say that, why I think we're living in a distinct time from other times. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to make sure that you know that this show is sponsored by Element Funding. So by now you've seen the gas prices, by now you've seen the inflation, and you've seen the price of milk raised at your local grocery store. You've seen what's happening in the economy. For those of you who a year back, maybe even two years back thought, well, I'm gonna wait it out. You've seen that there is no bottom to the Biden administration and that things can only get worse from, from here on out and probably not gonna get much better until we have some elections moving forward, but I digress. But the point is this, is that the one thing you can do is that you can take your future into your own hands by right now getting pre-approved for a home mortgage by going to our friends over at Element Funding at the Kevin Blair team. So what you need to do is you need to go to kevinblairteam.com right now where you can get pre-approved, it's totally free. They'll give you a, 
uh, a mortgage checkup and they'll help you know exactly what kind of interest rate you're looking at and you can lock that in even if you go through the process with them and so you can lock in a good rate now before it goes up the the fed has promised that there is going to be at least two more interest rate hikes before the end of this year and if you've been paying attention you've noticed that they've already gone up significantly from the end of last year so go take your future into your own hands and go over to kevin blair team.com today where you can get pre-approved for a home mortgage and then let them know that indie thinker sent you i forgot to mention at the top of the show you probably noticed that i am wearing this sweet indie thinker gear which you can also get by going to indiethinker.org you'll see a little button at the top of the uh navigation bar where you can go to our store and we've got lots of great stuff so make sure to check that out it's a great way to support the show uh we're gonna be talking about uh a 90s phenomenon that swept american high schools Maybe you are aware, maybe you were alive, maybe you weren't. Most of you probably know it, but some of you may not. Uh, we called it cutting, and it was a kind of like soft suicide, if you will. It was a self-harm that posed as a cure for the deep emptiness people felt from having a lack of real substantive meaning in their lives. At a time where drugs were readily available, at least in my world, and porn was definitely more accessible for all of us because of the internet, albeit dial-up for many frustrated young teenagers at the time, uh, it was it was during all of that that we found that that some people found at least that cutting yourselves could make you feel alive. That's at least what some of these people said. And so people would grab some type of cutting instrument, cut into their skin, watch the blood come out, and they said that the feeling of that cutting and watching the blood come out actually made them feel like they were human, that they were alive, and made them feel something at a time where people were just utterly numb with everything that the world could provide at that point in time. Now, admittedly, it was like, it was mostly girls who did this kind of stuff, or at least the people that I heard about doing this kind of thing uh, were mostly girls, and they were often ostracized for that kind of behavior, and the trend didn't last very long because it was not socially acceptable. We're living in a different time, however. Now, again, I say that because it's really easy to say, oh, we're, it's more important than ever, but I'm not so sure that that's always true. It sounds like a good thing to say, but it is a little bit different in our present time because we're hearing about gender-affirming care even from the White House of all places. So this desperate attempt to feel alive uh, when all of our institutions, even religious ones, are devoid of truth and have catered so much to an audience that they no longer capture the deep longing that people really have, it's no wonder that more and more people are moving into what is called gender-affirming care, which is really just radical transgender ideology. So today, we have scores of people who have been lied to by their friends and by the media that if they cut off their body parts, they will find the cure for what ails them. So now a trans community, some of which with mental illness and some of which have been sold a bill of goods that full bodily experimental plastic surgery, surgery will make you feel alive, um, that will meet the desperate longing that, that each and every one of us have. Instead, what transitioners are finding is a slight reprieve provided by the mood-altering hormone blockers they're taking, lifelong pain from their surgeries, and the eventual awareness that they are still empty inside. Unfortunately for many, they find out, too, that a doctor cannot solve their soul's problems, and instead of an answer, they're left with irreversible damage to their external and internal physical body. So because the media will not cover these stories, you're stuck with people like me giving them to you. So I thought it would be good to show you 
the trend that's still an undercurrent but will continue to grow more and more and more as gender-affirming care is pushed on especially young people. I want to show you the undercurrent of people called detransitioners all over social media. So here's just a couple of their their stories. So that's how it started for me. I felt that kind of social pressure. And so I did start to change my pronouns. Um, and it took two or three years before I actually reached that place where I was like, I'm a boy. And it was this feedback loop of getting that positive response from the other people online every time I would do something that was moving towards changing my gender. We're taking a cosmetic surgery and we are covering it with LGBTQ glitter. We are forcing this down parents' throats that this is the be all end all. We're not looking at the other side, uh, which is significant. All of these things. And I had a very androgynous look still at the time, which was great for me. As I started to progress in my transition, still taking hormones, my body just continued to get more and more masculine. And that was a fuller beard. That was more body hair. That was my voice getting even more deeper. And I started to feel a little uncomfortable. I didn't understand why I felt uncomfortable because I made all of these really amazing decisions and I felt really good in all of those decisions. So why, why am I unhappy? Why? I felt angry that, you know, no one was there to really um, say any different and I was allowed to run with this idea that I had or, you know, almost like a fantasy as a teenager, I was allowed to, to run with that and um, it has affected me in the long run as an adult. So as you can tell by the clips, detransitioners are those who transitioned and then want to go back to their original, uh, to their original sex that they were assigned at birth. So as bad as these stories are and as heartbreaking as they can be, the lies perpetuated by the media are being perpetuated not just by the media, but also by the White House. And here's a clip of the White House doing that very thing. Today's vote in Alabama will only serve to harm kids, but Alabama's lawmakers and other legislators who are contemplating these discriminatory bills have been put on notice by the Department of Justice and the Department of Health and Human Services that laws and policies preventing care that healthcare professionals recommend for transgender minors may violate the Constitution and federal law. So this is what makes our moment a little bit different than past moments. The White House of the 90s had nothing to say about cutting and self-harm and whether or not they would stand by those who were cutting their bodies. The radical White House of today comes armed not only with lies about gender-affirming care, but also threats that any state in the U.S. who wishes to protect children from gender reassignment will feel the full weight of the Constitution thrown at them. Because we all know the 14th Amendment and equal protection clauses in the 14th Amendment were not there to provide rights to women and to black people for voting and, so, and the like, but also intended to give boys the privilege of cutting off their penis and girls the same privilege of cutting off their breast. However, reality has the tendency to slap us all in the face, doesn't it? We're seeing it a lot in the present administration. We're seeing the idiotic fiscal policy uh, like the cancellation of student debt and uh, moratorium on evictions in the midst of 40-year high inflation, all because we believe that money grows on trees in our present White House. And then we've got the Russia-Ukraine war, which has shown us that all the moral superiority we gained with Green New Ideals is actually creating energy dependence upon the worst people on the planet. And the most pernicious of all lies is perhaps the transgender myth, along with the... Uh, pro-choice myth. 
that that you were born in the wrong body and a surgery can take care of it. So obviously the body thing for transgenderism and for the abortion lobby, surgery can take care of it. So it's this idea that the experts and the scientists, that they can take care of all your woes. And it's as if we think that we can do all of these things without any repercussions, but before our very eyes are the receipts. Now, I know this is a little bit heavy of an episode today, but it's a really serious issue. And so I like to have fun and entertain as much as I can on these shows. But, but I wanted to show you some things uh, that, that really do kind of delve into the topic as best as, they, as I possibly can. And I felt like there is no better way to do that than to show you the following video. Now, I will give you a very stern warning that I really struggled with whether or not I wanted to show you this or not because it's, a, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, but I, I'm going to show you this with the warning that what I'm about to show you can be very, very disturbing because you're going to see somebody on TikTok who went through one of these surgeries and what they said in the aftermath of it. Now, to be fair, they're saying glowing things about it, but, but it is heart crushing to see. And I'll, I'll explain why after I show you the clip, but fair warning, you can always do the skip button and move forward if you don't want to see this. But I felt like it was important for you guys to see the following clips. So here is a clip from a TikToker who just went through a gender transition sur surgery. This is a girl who is trying to become a boy and they had their uterus and ovaries removed. So here's that. Hey y'all, so I just got my uterus back and it looks so freaking cool. Trigger warning, this is an organ and it is a wet specimen and it is my uterus plus the tubes as well. So, ready for the reveal? This is it. This is my uterus. She scrubbed off all the blood. That is my cervix. That's what a cervix looks like y'all. And these little strings right here are my fallopian tubes. But this is my uterus. This is it compared to my head. This little thing causes so much problems for everybody. And I also got a LED plug-in LED stand with it. So it lights up different color and spins while it displays it, which is so cool. All right, so a couple of things that stuck out to me in that clip is that the individual tries to mock their own internal organs as they're holding them beside their face. Um, and then, the, of course, the colored light at the end of that that she wants to use to display her internal organs to anybody who comes as a visitor to her home, I suppose, or at least so that she can stare mystically into it. I, I don't know, but throughout the video, it seems pretty clear to me that you can see this girl doing her best to pretend that she's happy while also trying to pretend that she's a boy. But it's clear, at least to me, that she's desperate to convince herself that the deep, dark, sinking feeling down deep in her gut, that something went terribly wrong can go away if she, if she tells herself enough that what she just did was, was normal. Now, where does this come from, with this, this sense of normalcy to this very radical agenda? It's not hard to see that as we've moved further and further away from religious principles and ideas and ethics in the West, we have not only become more and more secular, but more suicidal. We're desperate for meaning and have now res resorted to self-mutilation while the White House calls it gender-affirming care. The you-do-you -you generation didn't think there'd be long-term consequences for killing off the faith that provided meaning and purpose for hundreds of generations and for thousands of years. But here we are watching these 
these hopefully still shocking videos. So we'll see in our headlines today that the White House is conspiring with these radical forces to greenlight this radical agenda, and we'll show the cure for it all in our final segment. So while we're going to dig into some heavy stuff, stick with us to the very end, because I think we'll find a redemptive note for all of the reality that's going on. And, and there is no benefit in turning our head and pretending that these things will go away and denying the reality that darkness exists. But we will also try to find a silver lining and light shining through the cracks of all of that darkness. So let's jump into our headlines. So a new PSA is making the rounds and it asks, want to meet a family with a transgender kid? Now, I happened upon this commercial when I was watching a cartoon with my children. A cartoon with my children now. So, there's clearly a direct audience, a direct marketing audience that, uh, that these PSAs intend to try to, to target here. And uh, as soon as I saw this come on, uh, I immediately turned the TV off um, and <laughs> went to something else. So, and by the way, the, the cartoon had nothing to do with any of this stuff. It was just a kid's cartoon. But anyway, at a time where we won't even let minors drive until 16 and drink until 21 and vote until they're 18, 14-year-olds and 8-year-olds can cut off their penis because, I, because they've been born in the wrong body. And of course, parents can create PSAs um, and encourage children to do that. It's incredibly barbaric, but I don't want to be ad hominem. So let's put the story to the test. The mother in this article is makes some claims. So let's let's look at the article and let's see what she says. So when Amber Biggle, the mother of a 14-year-old transgender son named Max, learned that her state of Texas declared gender-affirming care, medical care for trans youth to be child abuse, the possible real-world repercussions were almost too much to bear. Oh, the insanity of not being able to cut off your breasts. And then, quote, she says this, the way we debate and legislate trans lives out of existence can absolutely cause depression and suicidality. Briggle tells Yahoo Life. And then, quote, a common misconception, she adds, is that kids are delusional and that we are as parents are not helping our kids because they really need psychiatric care instead of affirmation. Nothing could be further from the truth, end quote. So the bill, of course, here uh, in question was signed by Texas Governor Abbott uh, and is being looked at by places uh, like Alabama and is intended to protect kids from what the White House calls gender-affirming care. But if we silence the noise and look at the facts, we can see that this is merely a lie intended to deceive people. Whole body plastic surgery, which is what we're talking about here, is actually not safe and continues to be the subject of caution by any doctor worth his degree because it's experimental. So let's put our compassionate mother's story to the test. Let's look at the actual evidence to her claim that this causes suicide and this uh, is uh, that parents should affirm rather than to seek care for their kids. So this is from the NIH, the National Institute for Health and their National Library of Medicine. It says, quote, however, the suicide risk in transgender people is higher than in the general population and seems to occur during every stage of transitioning. Now there's a key, every stage of transitioning. It is important to have specific attention for suicide risk in the counseling of this population and in providing suicide prevention programs. So throughout every stage of transitioning, every stage, suicide risk does not go down for transitioning kids. 
Now, that's from the NIH. So if it was, that wasn't enough, I wanted to also go one step further and try to provide a counterfactual here. And this is according to NBC. And it says, quote, gender affirming surgery significantly improves quality of life. A study says approximately 75% of transgender women showed an improved quality of life after surgery, a study out of Germany found. Now that's the end of the headline there. So a couple of things to help you sort through this madness that I think needs noting about this contrary study. 75% said that they uh, improved in their quality of life after this. So uh, just, just a little pushback here. How do you objectively gauge quality of life? The point is, is there is no way to objectively gauge quality of life. They don't provide the questions that were sent to people who went through these transition surgeries um, in this article, so we'll never know. But regardless, how do you really gauge quality of life? Not only is this a pretty dishonest way to judge whether experimental whole body plastic surgery, which I won't get tired of saying because we need to call it what it is, whether that actually helps, uh, there is an added incentive for these people to actually lie. And it's this, people who have been radicalized enough to go through these surgeries are hardly going to come out of these things and say, you know what, this was the worst decision I've ever made in my life. Not to mention the people who have been radicalized are more likely to answer the questionnaire than those who went through a bad situation or circumstance because they know the social repercussions of speaking out uh, against these surgeries. Now, the second thing is this, hormone blockers change the way that you feel. The mostly experimental drugs being used in these surgeries are mood-altering drugs and provide short-term mental benefit to those who take them. This is especially true of young women. Abigail Shire's book, Irreversible Damage, goes into how young girls who can be very emotionally and often depressed during puberty feel a reprieve from uh, that when testosterone is introduced into their body. So you must remember and always keep this close this is important to note that those who are suffering from gender dysphoria who are, or who have fallen for the transgenderism radical agenda are genuinely rewarded for their surgeries. They are very often rewarded with short-term short benefits and long-term pain. So to deny any real positive outcome from these things would be to miss some of what is happening here. So we need to acknowledge the fact that there is some positive reinforcement to these surgeries. So there's some real mental and emotional benefits to doing these things. Like, so we can't deny that, but it's all self-imposed and drug-induced. So we need to acknowledge that there are some positive outcomes, but perhaps the biggest positive outcome, and, we, and I already kind of mentioned it before, but the biggest positive outcome here is obviously social media. So you can easily go from posts that get you like 12 likes to thousands in a day when you reveal that you went through transition surgery. And as we all know, the behaviors rewarded are those the ones that are repeated. So the real question is not, did they gain some temporary benefit? The real question is 15 and even 20 years down the road, how you doing? So when states like Alabama and Texas rise up to defend children from the predations of these transitional surgeries, we need to applaud as much as possible those willing to fight off the onslaught of liars in the White House and in the media. That's why I'm inspired by people like Rogan who tell the truth even when they come from a pretty different ideological perspective. 
So just recently, Rogan was talking about the, uh, the parental rights in education bill that was signed by DeSantis in Florida that has become the controversy of Disney, among other places. Now, he discussed this bill because of, um, it's because of the way it's named by, by the media. And so, of course, people were coming out against Rogan because, and saying that he is, quote, coming against the don't say gay bill, end quote when actually Joe was really just just criticizing the mislabeling of this bill. And here's a little bit of him doing that. Someone the other day and she was like, I would be down with Republicans if they would just drop all the gay shit. She was like, yeah. all that gay stuff, like leave those gay people alone. Like this is, it's yeah. one of the, the, the dumbest it's, aspects yeah. of hardcore conservatives yeah, that they absolutely that they deny gay rights and uh i i go i think you're probably not alone i think there's probably a lot of people that feel that way this there's a lot of people that are in the center on whether it's from left-wing issues or right-wing issues you know with left-wing issues maybe it's uh, trans women in sports or maybe it's uh you know uh, gender confirmation it's like this don't say gay thing in florida when I heard that, I was like, what? What are they saying? You can't say gay? Is that really what's going oh, on? Is that, it turns that's, out that's, that's not that what, it, what it is. Yeah. It's not what it is yeah. at all. What yeah. it is is ages, it's first through third grade, they're saying you're not supposed to talk about sexual orientation, gender orientation, or sexual proclivity, or, or you know what, what you're yeah. interested in. Yeah. They said you should just teach math and science and history to little kids. Yeah, and just let the toddlers be toddlers, yeah. and then then they can you can then you can start ramping up your it's, your it's, instruction. You know, and and people are opposed to that, but it's like, listen, your your teachers are not supposed to be the people that explain gender to a seven year old. Yeah. So a couple of things. I even take exception to the beginning of that, where Joe's saying, you know, like more Republicans would get votes if they would just stop the gay stuff. Well, here's why we can't stop talking about this kind of thing. It's because the, all the full force of the media is used to lie about this kind of stuff. And this is where the second part of that clip comes in, where Joe talks about the mislabeling of this bill, calling it the Don't Say Gay Bill, and says it's not that. This is just merely saying that kids at their youngest and most, you know, moldable age should not be told by these teachers. And who are these teachers anyway who are really equipped to talk about these things with kids, um, I, it's it's an obvious fact that we all know all well, all too well, that the people who are best equipped to talk to children about this stuff at their youngest ages are parents. So he's really just taking exception with the fact that this thing is called the "Don't Say Gay" bill, which is not what this is at all. So you've heard me say it a million times, and probably heard other people say it that are honest in in this kind of same space to tell you that the bill doesn't even say the word gay so it's a little hard for it to be a don't say gay bill in fact you could easily as, as easily as you want to mislabel it the don't say gay bill you could easily mislabel it the don't say straight bill because actually it doesn't dis, di, you know differentiate between those two orientations it merely says that for k through third grade that you are not able to develop curriculum or to speak in class um, and teach about gender identity, identity and sexual orientation. That's it. That's the bill. Now, I won't harp on this because we all know this. But the whole point is this, is that Joe is waking up to the reality that 
Republicans need to speak on these things not because they have an issue with being gay overtly as much as they have an issue with lying. And lying unopposed is essentially permission to continue to perpetuate the lie. This is the big problem here. This is why calling the radical bodily mutilation of people gender-affirming care is an issue. The left has a habit of mislabeling and misnomering things and using euphemisms to try to get away with atrocious things. And this is why people like myself have to speak up. Not because we want to harp on a singular issue or a certain proclivity as much as we care about the truth. Now, I want to say one more thing about this. I would say the modern transgender issue of our day is, is much like the, um, the, the homosexual marriage issue of the past. Okay, so we were extorted, and by we, I mean conservatives by and large and, and Republicans, were extorted in the past. And so this, when I was a kid, uh, in the 90s and such, when, when this was a, all of the things that was all over the news, all the rage, if you will, uh, we were talking about whether or not homosexuals should be married, married and whatnot. What conservatives were saying at the time is that this, they were making this slippery slope argument, whether you like this or not, I'm just saying, stating a fact. They were making a slippery slope argument that once we define as a society marriage in such a way that it has never been defined by any society ever before, first of all, we should tread into that a little lightly, right? Uh, humans run where angels fear to tread, that kind of thing. Like we should probably, you know, go into that a little slowly and probably do some some research about that before we just overturn thousands of years of what of what actual marriage has looked like for every society known to mankind. But then the other thing is this, is that it's a slippery slope that will open the door to many other things, aberrant lifestyles. And, and, and at the end of the day, you know, it's not really taking away from people and doesn't really harm them. And the only reason that uh, we, the, the state even has a lot in the kind of institutionalized marriage of marriage certificates and that kind of thing is because a long time ago, the state decided that it was in the best interest of the state to promote healthy children who can perpetuate and move the society further. So they got behind creating some incentives for marriage and for children to be raised out of that marriage. So here's the point, is that while there may be a little bit overwroughtness with talking about the fact that marriage is an institution to reproduce children, because, it's, because it is more than that. But, however, it is also that. And so a marriage that doesn't reproduce and doesn't create healthy children doesn't create the same incentive for the state as, uh, as, as the other would. And so the point is, is that a heterosexual marriage creates an incentive for the state because it creates and reproduces children that also have been statistically, between a, a mom and a dad in a home, in a nuclear family, has statistically been proven to create the most well-rounded kids that can help support and produce a healthy society in the future. So hopefully that's clear enough clear as mud, right? To be able to at least just say this, that the reason that that we were in the marriage game as a society in the first place is because of the reproduction of children. So if you create a marriage that doesn't reproduce children, sure, okay, you <laughs> you can do what you want to in your, in your own home behind closed doors as long as it's not hurting buddy and it's not against the law. Um, but in terms of the state and the government being in the business of institutionalizing a, a institution like marriage, the reason they do that is because there is an incentive to the state. Okay.
So, so conservatives said, that's what this is for in the first place. So I'm not sure that, you know, it makes sense to do this other thing, just to, to make it legal for homosexual marriage to, to come into vogue, because we have this sinking suspicion that actually what this is is just validating a lifestyle rather than actually providing true incentives for the people who are doing it. And so regardless of what you think about that argument, the, the argument seems to have stuck at least in this way, that that argument has evolved over time and now we're presently here in 2022 and we're looking at the state of marriage and the state of sex and the state of our understanding of what identity looks like and it has gone madness uh, by any objective standard and and so it sure seems that when i was a young kid and didn't have a dog in the fight or at least was too young to even pay attention to this stuff um, that, that, that fight back then is kind of the modern day fight that we're having right now. And we're having the same question as to where do we draw the line in the sand? Because that's really what we're, we're talking about at the end of the day. Where do we really want to set the confines of reality in a society? So this is not really about being gay. So I think Joe is wrong here. And I think anybody that says that is being wrong. This is about understanding the confines of reality and understanding why we do things in, in America and why things become laws in the first place. So without going into a very blow, overblown, boring conversation about that stuff, the least I can say is this, is that we desperately need to understand for ourselves where we're gonna draw a line in the sand and where we say this is a bridge too far. And if we're not seeing it now, then when do we? I think it's clear based upon the facts that I already gave you from the NIH that we're seeing a line too far in terms of this transitional surgery, gender-affirming care, uh, being an actual viable option for people moving forward. So at the end of the day, when we stand up and we speak about these issues, it is more about the truth and the importance of the truth as a society, how it is fundamental to a society. And if we start lying to ourselves as course, then, uh, then we'll reap the repercussions for it. And I think we're seeing that right now with this supposed gender-affirming care. So I think he's wrong on the first thing, but he's obviously right on the second thing, Rogan is, is that uh, the media is such liars. And so the first thing sows into the second thing. Because we care about the truth, we must speak up against gender-affirming care, and we must speak up for what marriage actually is and what it actually does for a society. And we must do so without fear of reprisal or being called a bigot or anything like that. Uh, we just need to be informed about these things and speak about them openly. Um, and in the process, in standing for the truth, we can find that there are people like Joe Rogan who actually appreciate the truth who don't even come from our ideological perspective. I know people on the left uh, think that that's foolish because obviously Joe Rogan's a conservative. No, in almost every single way you can think of, Joe is probably more libertarian than anything, but he's pretty much an old school liberal. But, but he sees the truth and he respects the truth. Nobody respects a liar and nobody respects a coward, which we'll show you in our very next headline. So while people like Joe Rogan show a backbone, people like uh, Governor of Kentucky Andy Bashir shows us what true cowardice looks like. So according to NPR, Kentucky Governor halts bill that would ban transgender students from women's sports. So Andy Bashir recently had the opportunity to sign a bill called the, uh, what is it, the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. Okay, so that's what the bill is called. So it's a bill to, much like the name suggests, a bill to ensure that the rights of young girls uh, in sports 
are intact, that they can play girl sports with other girls, not boys masquerading as girls. So he said he vetoed the bill because he felt like it would be overturned later. So in the meantime, he missed an opportunity to show he has any moral fortitude and missed an opportunity to show that he can actually lead his state. So let me give you a couple of points about this kind of just like cowardly move and what we can learn from it. So the first thing is this, is we've been so conserved with preserving the past in the conservative movement that we've forgotten to build the future. The left, the left has done this, and now they control major institutions, and they use places like Disney to cram their agendas down people's throats. So we need to get in the business of building the future by taking strong actions for the future, or else we will reap the repercussions of it in the long run. So the second thing is this, is that we've been so concerned with popularity that we haven't realized courage makes one useful, not popularity. And, and conservatives especially, are, have missed the benefit of courage. By being courageous, you show that you, that what many crave can be had, but very few people possess it. And so when you are courageous, people wonder. So when being courageous, you will become popular because people will pay attention. That's why no one cares about Andy Bashir and everyone is singing the praises of DeSantis. Sure, Bashir gets his name off the news for a little bit and doesn't get named on CNN, but he loses an opportunity to do what people are craving him to do, to actually to stand up for their interests. So sorry, cowardice is not necessary in the Republican Party anymore. We're done with it. Big tent conservatism is fine, but when that includes people who do not defend innocent children, you can get them out of the tent. They are no longer needed because we've got enough people who are standing up for the truth and are starting to realize that it's about time we did or else. The future is going to reap the repercussions of those who only want to place their temporary desire to be liked on the altar of, of, of the future. All right, so let's jump into our final segment where we'll try to put all of these things in a bow and try to provide some clarity for why these things are even happening in the first place. So typically in Christianity, not today, we say, not today, fool, that ain't Christianity. But uh, we're going to talk about something that I really do believe has a place in Christianity today that Christians need to be a little bit more vocal about and needs to speak more, more commonly about. And so I've been waiting for a long time to share this clip with you guys because I think it's, it's so important. So a while back, Barry Weiss and Ben Shapiro had a very important conversation about the soul of America, and I wanted you guys to hear it. It's a little dated, maybe about three, four months old, but it's very, very relevant to our topic today. So here is the Ben Shapiro Sunday special with guest Barry Weiss. Visions of how race was going in America immediately began to turn. You can see in the polls that on race, America immediately started to hit the downs, down mm. skids about 2009, 2010. Up to 2008, 2009, the polls were really good in terms of how many Americans thought we were getting closer in terms of race, how many Americans thought we were doing well in terms of race, and then both white and black Americans, after 2009, 2010, you start to see the polls really start to dip pretty significantly. Okay, that is a very cogent political explanation, and, and I do think there's something there about... Democratic Party strategy in terms of how it's sort of cobbled together, this this coalition, yes. My answer maybe is a little bit more metaphysical. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that the surge of this and the reason especially that so many young people are drawn to it is crisis of meaning and the death of God in this country. Like I, I just really believe that people are searching for some moral purpose to their life, the sense of being part of a 
of a coalition of the righteous, sense of being on the right side of history, all of the things that we used to get from other structures that because of, you know, let's be honest, like many of the fallouts of things like globalization and tech and the rest, you know, that are so much bigger than we have time for in this conversation, have led people sort of grasping for meaning. All right. So in this clip, I think Barry beautifully illustrates what is really going on in America today. She says, the death of God has created an existential crisis that cannot be cured outside of faith and community. And for the record, just want to be clear, Barry is Jewish. She's a Jewish woman and she's a lesbian in almost every way, very much like I said with Joe Rogan, uh, a, a, an old school liberal. But she also happens to have a point in her assessment. So the couple I mentioned in the opening segment were, were suffering from something much bigger than politics and something much bigger than media can solve. So let me provide you a little bit of an example. So I love the Daily Wire, uh, who Ben Shapiro works for, and I'm a subscriber. They have been going the extra mile, and whenever culture pumps out bad things and tries to lie and tries to destroy, they're creating a counterculture to oppose it uh, on so many fronts, books and razors and... Uh, media and entertainment, creating movies and all sorts of, of different things, comedy specials, all the like. And, and, and I'm on board for, for all of it. I love what they're doing. I'm inspired by it. I think for far too long we've complained for losing instead of actually being on the offensive and knowing how to build stuff. But I must admit that kind of thing has its limitations. So grooming for your personal body, like with Jeremy's razors, can help your physical body, media can help your mind, and entertainment can help your emotions. But there's still one missing element of humanity that none of those things can solve. And I think they would agree with this. It is what I would call the spirit, or what many would call the human soul. While the other things out there may provide substantial benefit in a world that's crumbling around us, there is only one thing that can save the human soul. And that is a faith that connects you to the truth of God's existence. And not just lofty ideas, so hear me on this. A true religion of sorts that provides belonging to more than just a group of people, but, a, but an actual connection to a God who knows and loves you. And by the way, I believe that is possible. Now, before you think I'm proselytizing, which I am, by the way, just ask yourself, is our world better off now or 20 or even 30 years ago? I know it had problems then, and I'm not trying to idealize, and I know there's good things now. But if there are some things that were way better back then and we're starting to see trends that unnerve us a little bit, then you have to ask yourself, what was it that changed? And are those changes good? Can those changes even be traced back to things like the modern trans movement? And are those changes causing those kind of things? So a movement that is gaining popularity but not solving the deep need for people to feel like their life has meaning and purpose is missing a crucial factor in everything that we're seeing in our present age. In fact, the modern trans movement is antithetical to Christianity primarily in that it is an attempt to try to take what God has created and place that control in the hands of a mortal. So we need to pay attention to theology in the midst of everything that's going on. I know, I'm saying that as a theologian. But, but follow me, you can see this in many ways in modern life, like natural disasters. The left immediately claims, if only we had adopted green energy, that tornado wouldn't have come. But not even the IPCC says things like that. They don't know if climate change made the hurricane or tornado exist, or even if it made it more intense. 
Climate change hysteria, therefore, serves as a means of explaining away that act of God and placing power back in our hands. We can change it. If we only get an electric car, the gender hysteria of our age does the same, and it is merely an attempt to wrench the, wrench the uncontrollable, like what gender you were created as, what sex you were created as, and wrench that out of God's hands and put it back into your own hands. And fact check, it's not working. So what we're facing is a fundamental existential and theological problem. It's creating an existential crisis of immense proportions that is causing us to cut ourselves to prove that we bleed and to get attention for anyone that will listen to us. But I do have to say there is hope. Not only is a generation awakening to that need, but even some leaders with power are fighting back. No, they're not all Christians. But if we are wise, we will look to Holy Scripture and the teaching of Jesus and test and see if the God who promised his scars for ours is not the solution that we are all desperate for. It's my humble suggestion. So you don't have to think like me, but you do have to think for yourself. And so I wish you the best on the journey. And we'll continue to talk about it in our very next episode. But until that time, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.